that you all are very aware of this, but even though the weather doesn't feel like it, we only have 11 more days until Christmas. Can you believe that? A week and a half until Christmas morning. I, how that can be totally confounds me because it just seems like yesterday and we were starting out 2014 and, uh, and all of a sudden here we are at Christmas time. And every year it seems like that and just keeps going faster and faster and every year... Um, we start hearing about Christmas earlier and earlier. You know, it seems like right after we celebrate uh, Labor Day, they start playing Christmas music. And uh, we, every year we hear about Christmas and, and the Christmas message in song and, and in, in sermons. But, I, I, of course, I want to talk about Jesus and, and uh, the birth of Christ today. But I want to look back behind the, behind the birth itself to the reason. Why did Jesus come in the first place? Obviously, he had a mission. Obviously, there's a reason for him to come uh, and step out of heaven and onto earth, to step out of eternity and into time, to take on the limitations of frail humanity. Why did he do that? Well, I think Jesus summed it up very succinctly, much more so than I could in the Gospels when he said that he came to seek and to save that which was lost. But I want to look at his mission a little more in depth. And I actually don't want to look in the New Testament at the passage I just referred to. We're going to be in the Old Testament book of Isaiah. If you don't have your Bible open there, please turn there. Isaiah 61, we're going to pick up in verse 1. Isaiah 61 and verse 1. And as we start to read this, you'll probably recognize it because this is a passage that Jesus read and he applied it to himself when he was in Nazareth. Now, you remember Nazareth, Nazareth was his hometown. You say, but pastor, I thought he was born in Bethlehem. He was, but that's not where he was raised. Just like uh, some of us, he didn't, he didn't stay in the place where he was raised. He ended up going someplace else. And he was raised in Nazareth, a little hole-in-the-road place. And, uh, and after he began his earthly ministry, he returned there one time. And he went to the synagogue, which is kind of like their church, I guess you'd say. And that was his custom. He'd always go to the synagogue. And when he was there, he was kind of like a guest speaker this day. And they handed him the scroll, the, the scriptures, and he found this passage that we're going to read. And he stood up, and he read it, and then he sat down. He was going to teach, and everybody was looking at him, waiting for him to, waiting for him to, uh, to, to give his explanation of things. And he says, today, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. And at, at first, everybody was like, man, this, this guy, he, he's telling a lot of good stuff. And, and if you read Luke 4, where this is recorded, Jesus was very warmly received at first. But he kept going. And, and by the time he finished his sermon, Nazareth was built up on a hill. And by the time he finished his sermon, the people were so mad at him that they were going to take him to the edge of the hill and throw him off the cliff. Now, hopefully, when I preach the same text as he was preaching, uh, you don't want to throw me off of our hill. If, if you do, well, I would say hopefully I can outrun you. I know I can't. Um, hopefully you just don't want to. So why did Jesus come in the first place? Well, very, very simply, sin brings a lot of damage and it brings a lot of hurt. And Jesus came to heal and to fix all of that stuff that sin brings. Now our passage is going to flush this out a little bit. So if you found Isaiah 61, please stand with me as uh, we begin reading in verse 1. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to, pro to proclaim liberty to the captives, and, to, and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, 
to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a spirit of fainting. So they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, why did Jesus come? Well, the first thing that I want you to see is Jesus came to proclaim the gospel. Jesus came to preach the gospel. Now, that shouldn't be a big surprise. I mean, he's Jesus, right? We would expect him to preach the gospel. But it's, it's very significant that, uh, that one of his main functions was to preach. In fact, if, uh, if you're familiar with the book of uh, Mark in the first chapter, Jesus has been teaching, he's been doing some things, and he's having a, a pretty good response. But he tells his disciples, let's go to these other towns and villages so I can preach there, for that is why I came. He came to preach. Now you may say, well, that's nice, but what does it have to do with Isaiah 61? Because it doesn't say anything in here about the gospel. Well, actually it does if you look at verse 1 again. It says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, okay, uh, because he has anointed me. So there's, there, okay, just, just back up. The word Christ is not actually part of Jesus' name. That is a title. It means anointed one. In, in Greek, it's Christos. That's the same word in Hebrew as Messiah. It means anointed one. So this is speaking of being anointed, of being the Messiah. So the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. And here's the key, to bring good news to the afflicted. Now the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Scriptures, uses the word here that's translated good news, or your Bible may say good tidings. It uses the word in Greek that we get our word evangelize or evangelization from. Now this is the same idea that the Bible uses in Isaiah 52.7. Now Isaiah 52.7 says, How lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who announces peace and brings good news of happiness, who announces salvation and says to Zion, Your God reigns. You say, well, maybe that's talking about the gospel. Maybe it's not. Well, we know it is because Paul quoted this. In the book of Romans chapter 10, he quoted that, that very verse in the context of people believing the gospel. He says, how are people going to believe if they don't hear? And how are people going to hear if nobody preaches? And how are people going to preach unless they're sent? This is talking about the gospel. That's why Jesus came. He was anointed. He was the Christ. He was the Messiah. And his role was to preach the gospel, to evangelize. Now what is the gospel? Well, at the very root, the gospel is Jesus himself. Jesus is the gospel because the gospel is all about him. It's not about us. It's all about Jesus because Jesus offers salvation. Jesus is salvation. He says, I've come that you might have life. And he's talking about eternal life. And the Bible says that that eternal life uh, doesn't start when we die. It starts right now. It's knowing God and the Christ whom he sent. He offers us eternal life. He offers us the chance to have our sins forgiven. He offers us the chance to be made right with God. But how does that happen? Well, our sins are paid for by who? Jesus. Eternal life, what we get, the moment we get saved, is not something that we get when we die. Like I said, it happens right now. And really, that life is simply His life lived through us. Now, I'm not trying to be overly mystical, but Galatians 2.20, what does Paul say? He says, I am crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but what? Christ lives in me in the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who, gave, loved, uh, who gave, loved me and gave himself up for me. We're made righteous not through something that we do, but rather by having Christ's righteousness credited to our account. 
Jesus is the gospel. Jesus offers himself. He came to evangelize. Now, we think the gospel deals primarily with having our sins forgiven. And it includes that. But it includes a whole lot more than that, too. And as we, as we work our way through this text, I want you to realize that many, much of this stuff is really just a different facet of the gospel and the mission of Christ. Okay, so he came to preach the gospel, to share good news. Look at verse 1. Who did he come to give it to? It says that he did this. He, he came to proclaim the gospel to the afflicted and to bind the brokenhearted. Now remember, in Hebrew, they use a lot of parallelism, saying the same thing with a little bit of variation. It's kind of like uh, binocular vision, seeing the same thing from slightly different angles to get more depth. Same thing is going on here. This is the same idea. The afflicted and the brokenhearted is the same person. And so uh, who are those people? Well, the word afflicted has a range of meanings. It can mean poor. It can mean needy, meek, humble, just afflicted and, 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 and having bad stuff happen to you. And, and it, can, it can refer to people who are suffering just due to life. You ever been afflicted just due to life? I mean, things are just not going well. Well, it has that idea, but it refers especially as it relates to the mission of Christ, uh, to those people who are, who, who are what should the Bible would call poor in spirit. They realize that they don't have any, uh, any kind of spiritual capital. These are people who realize they don't have the resource, resources to be made right with God. They are spiritually poor. And they can't save themselves and they know it. And when it talks about binding up the brokenhearted, that word binding speaks of a physician. Has anybody ever broken a bone? Okay, a couple of you have. And what did, that, what did they do? Well, they may have put a cast on there, but most likely, at the very least, they splinted it, right? They would set that bone and then they would wrap it. They would bind it up. And that's the idea here. It's, it's taking something that's broken and, and wrapping it up. And, and broken heart has the idea in the Hebrew of being crushed. Think about the last time that you were broken hearted. I mean, really. Think about the last time you were really just crushed. Jesus came for that. He came to bind up your broken heart. Now, again, it can, it can refer to all kinds of things. It can refer to you're going along and all of a sudden the bottom drops out in life. Maybe you've lost a loved one, a job, maybe some other loss. You, you, maybe you've realized the sinfulness of your sin and it, it breaks you. Jesus came for that. He didn't come to beat you up. He came to bind you up. He didn't come to condemn you. He came to save you. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 20, it speaks of Jesus and it says, A battered reed he will not break off, and a smoldering wick he will not put out. It talks about the tender care of Christ. Jesus is pleading with you today. Come to Him. He says, if you're brokenhearted, come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Are you hurting today? Come to Christ. Let Him bind up your broken heart. But it also says, if you look in, uh, in verse 1 at the end, it says that He also came to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners. Now, obviously, this is speaking of something besides a physical reality because when you go and, and just speak the gospel, that does not, by the force of the gospel, cause doors to open. 
It does not cause locks to come undone. If it did, I can assure you that prison ministry and jail ministry would be very popular among the inmates. They'd be wanting people to come all the time and preach the gospel, right? So this is clearly speaking of spiritual realities. He's speaking of, uh, of the bondage and the enslavement of sin. Now, if you were to ask, you know, just uh, the regular Joe on the street, the guy at work, somebody in your family, hey, are you, are you enslaved today? They'd say, what are you talking about? I'm not enslaved. I'm not enslaved to anything. I'm not enslaved to anyone. And they would not say that they're enslaved to any one sin, and, and they, they would probably say they're not even enslaved to sin in general. But yet the Bible says, Jesus said, that everyone who commits a sin is a slave to sin. Now the Bible here, and we, we kind of miss this because we're not familiar with, I mean, let's, let's face it, when we read Leviticus, we kind of, we kind of zone out, right? Or maybe we don't read it at all. Somebody's called Leviticus, you know, the, the read your Bible through widow maker. I mean, you're, you're reading it through, and you struggle to get through Exodus and the, the tabernacle, and, and you finally get to Leviticus, and you're like, oh, man, this is, this is brutal. And so we might skip that in our reading and think we'll, we'll get back to it, or maybe we just scan over it. And so we miss this part. But especially as you look at uh, in, in verse 2, and it talks about the favorable year of the Lord. This is actually talking about something in their, their law called the year of Jubilee. You may have heard that before, but every 50th year, they would, on a certain day of that year, they would blow a trumpet, and it would proclaim the year of Jubilee. It would proclaim freedom. And what would happen is, remember, uh, God had, gave, had given them the promised land, and he said, this belongs to this tribe, and that belongs to that tribe, and it can't permanently change hands. But at the year of Jubilee, all that stuff, if, if you had a piece of land, you sold it to me, all that stuff would revert. But also, and this is more to the point of what's being talked about, if somebody was really poor, I mean they didn't have two pennies to rub together, and they sold themselves into slavery, the Bible says if, if, a, if, if an Israelite has done that, on the year of Jubilee, they're set free. Those who were once enslaved were set free. Now, could, that, could they become free before that? Yeah, if they could buy their own freedom. Or if they had friends and family, they could pony up and, and buy their freedom. But this is a person who has no other way to become free. They can't do it on their own, and they don't have anybody who can help them. The year of Jubilee is when they're set free. Now, what does that have to do here? Here's, here's the picture. You've got somebody who's enslaved to sin. They can't free themselves. They, they don't have any friends and family that can help them get out of that enslavement. The only one that can do it is Christ. And Jesus came that people would be set free. Jesus came to free us from the power and dominion of sin. He came to save us from the punishment of sin in hell. Jesus himself said, and I believe it's John 8, if the Son sets you what? Free, you'll be free indeed. He's talking about the freedom from sin. Now the other side of that coin, if you'll, if you'll look at the rest of um, verse 2, it says that he, he proclaimed... Uh, the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. Now, Jesus didn't quote all of verse 2 and he didn't quote verse 3 because this part hasn't happened yet. There is a day coming when those who reject God and they reject the gospel will experience His wrath and vengeance. That day is coming. 
Now, this whole last section, the last part of uh, verse 2 and all of verse 3, deals with Christ bringing comfort and joy. Now, we sing a, a carol today uh, in, in today's uh, Christmas season, Good Tidings of Comfort and Joy. Okay, that's talking about just Christ coming, but this is uh, tidings of comfort and joy. Look at the end of verse 2, in the first part of verse 3. It talks about Jesus comforting those who mourn. Now again, this is speaking of anybody, uh, any follower of Christ who is mourning because of a loss or pain. That's special reference to those who are mourning because of their sin. Now, those of us who are believers can no doubt tell of a time when God has comforted us in times of grief. When God has helped us in a way that nobody else could. That He's given us peace that passes all understanding. That's what is in view here. Then it talks about, look at what he says in verse 3. It talks about him giving something instead of ashes. My Bible says giving them a garland instead of ashes. Your Bible may say giving them beauty instead of ashes. Your Bible may say giving them flowers or even roses instead of ashes. The reason that it's rendered differently is because we don't have an English word that means the exact same thing as this Hebrew word. The idea is of a, a gleaming bright headdress. He's saying, now that's a weird picture. That Jesus would give us a gleaming headdress instead of ashes. What does that mean? Well, think, in their culture, think about uh, when Jonah preached to Nineveh. What did they do? Sackcloth and what? Ashes. You think about Job. Whenever he was going through his, uh, through his trials, he sat in ashes. What would happen is these people would take ashes and dust and put them on their head. It was a, it was a sign of deep grief and deep mourning. And so that's the picture. And the Bible says that Jesus came to give us a gleaming, beautiful headdress instead of ashes. Isn't that, isn't that a, a beautiful picture? And likewise, during times of grief, they would not anoint themselves with oil. You say, why would anybody do that anyway? Well, they live in a very dry, culture, uh, dry uh, environment, and that oil would, uh, would help their skin and hair and all those things. But it was seen as being a sign of, of festivities, of, of happiness, of joy. And that's why, you remember in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, when you fast, don't be like the hypocrites, because what do they do? They let their hair get all nasty, and they, they don't anoint themselves with oil. He said, but when you fast, you keep it secret, and you go ahead and anoint yourself with oil. You take care of yourself. Because when you're fasting, when the Pharisees were fasting, they were saying, oh... I'm just so broken up with my sin and all this, and they were putting on a big show. And to show that, they would not anoint themselves. And, they, and you could tell it. So look at what it says in verse 3. It says, He'll give the oil of gladness instead of mourning. That's what it's talking about, the oil of gladness. He'll, 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 he'll give you some joy in your life. And likewise, if you keep on looking, the, man, the mantle of your Bible may say the clothing of praise instead of a spirit of fainting. Again, they used to wear sackcloth during times of grief, and they had other clothes, fancy clothes they'd wear at parties. He's saying you're going to you're going to be you're going to go through life, and you're going to be wearing sackcloth and ashes, and things are going to be going bad for you. You're going to be going through times of grief and mourning, and in those times, Jesus will give you joy. 
joy unspeakable and full of glory. He'll, he'll, he'll help you. In other words, the joy of the Lord will be your strength. And what's going to happen if you'll finish out verse 3 with me? So they will be called oaks of righteousness. And that is such a cool phrase, oaks of righteousness. You think of a mighty oak. And the Bible oftentimes uses the picture of a, of a, of a tree, a flourishing tree that's planted by, by streams of water. You get that in Psalm 1. How blessed is the man who's not walking the counsel of the uh, wicked and stand the seed of... What is it? Uh, oh, my mind just went... Went blank and then and send the seed of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He'll be like a tree planted by waters, who yields fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And in that such a great picture, here's the person who follows Christ, and they're going to be like a tree that's planted by the by the streams of water, and they're not going to dry up in the dry spells of life. And look at the look at the end of verse three. Stay with me. It says, the, "So they will be, they'll be the planting of the Lord, that He may be glorified." What does that say? The way you handle life, your pain, your grief, life in general, that can bring glory to God. Hopefully, it does bring glory to God. You say, Pastor, I don't feel joyful though. You know, uh, there's a an old writer one time that said that. He, he, he considered being a pastor and he would have considered being one if all the preachers he knew didn't look like undertakers. You know, and, and that's the way a lot of Christians are. They just go around in, uh, in robes of mourning. And they, just, they always look like they, they were weaned on pickle juice and were raised on the dark side of the moon and they don't have joy in their life at all. Maybe you're not thankful today. Where, where does the joy come from? Well, I think that whenever we're whenever we have our, our sins forgiven, whenever we're redeemed and set free, what's going to happen? The joy is going to come up from the inside. It can't help it. Zig Ziglar or somebody once said that, that uh, it's not that not happy people who are thankful, but thankful people who are happy. And I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. So, so here's what I want you to get. Earlier in this, in this book, Isaiah calls this Messiah the man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. So here's the man of sorrows come along in chapter 61 and transforming our sorrow and our grief into joy. How does that happen? Listen to Isaiah 53 and verse 4 for the answer. It says, Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. He can, ta- he, we, he can bring joy because he's already taken care of our griefs. He took them on himself. When did Christ do that? He did it on the cross. And because of the cross, we can experience the joy that comes from knowing him as the Savior. Because of the cross, we can have our broken hearts mended. Because of the cross, we can be liberated from the power and the punishment of sin. Because of the cross, we can be made right with God. And that was Christ's mission. He came to die for you and for me to take our punishment. And all these other things go along with that. They're all just outworkings of the gospel. Now, how much does something like that cost? Well, it's free. At Christmas time, 
We love freebies, don't we? We went to Andy's just yesterday because we were going to have to get gift cards anyway. And you know what? They were giving gift. They were giving a free concrete if you bought a certain number of gift cards or a certain number, a certain dollar amount. Well, guess what? It just so happens we needed just about that amount for two of them. It was great. We love free stuff. What Jesus offers is free, but it costs him something. It costs him everything. It costs him his life. So won't you respond to him today? Won't you accept Christ? Jesus said, whosoever will may come. He'll in no wise cast that person out. And for those of us who who have done that, we have a big reason to celebrate. You say, you know what? I don't have much under the tree. I don't even have a tree up this year. You know, things aren't going real well. I just don't really feel like celebrating. You know, you may not have much under the tree, but if you have Christ in your heart, you have a pretty big gift right there. You have the best gift. And and you can you can celebrate that. You can enjoy that. It's okay to, to be happy and be a Christian. Maybe you're experiencing some of those things Isaiah talked about. Maybe and maybe you're you're broken hearted today. Let Jesus apply healing balm to your heart, bind it up. Maybe you're wrapped up in some sin and you just can't seem to break free of it. Jesus came that you'd have freedom. He came to set you free. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world, the Bible says. Confess it to him, repent of it, and move on. Take the way of escape that he offers. And then somebody as well said, if you don't want to fall, don't walk where it's slippery. You may need to make some changes there. You know, this holidays are a great time, but it's also a painful time sometimes. And maybe you're on the verge of just giving in and saying, you know what? It's not worth it. Don't do that. Take heart. Ask God to help you and to strengthen you, to give you the mantle of praise He talks about. Because He doesn't always change our circumstances, but He does change us. Allow Him to, to do that work in you today.